Guys, this is bad. I still, I'm still not sure entirely how CRISPR works. <laughs> Thanks for telling us now. <laughs> you guys were also supposed to look it up. I blame all of us. <laughs> I also blame none of us except you. I didn't know that was something we were supposed to do. So we talked about doing it. It's true. Maybe, maybe we said you should go learn more about it. No, we crammed it into <laughs> the end of the episode, and we were like, "Okay, this week we're all gonna learn about it, and then we'll talk about it next week." I don't think I made any such promise. Oh. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is episode eighty-six of Future Chat. I am joined, as always, by Mike and Nick, and we're going to talk some science and tech. There's, this is, at least from my perspective, this is a very space-heavy week. There is just a bunch of space news. Space. Uh, but before we get to that, Mike, why don't you uh, tell us some of the stuff you uh, have to follow up on from past weeks? So brace yourselves, because there's a lot. I'll try not to <laughs> linger too much on each story, but I, am I, I, thought, I thought a lot of these were worth bringing up because they were actually fairly... Uh, major developments i guess i'll just kind of go from top to bottom i guess just to keep it things straightforward so a long time ago we talked about PenGate and how the samsung galaxy note 5 phone had the s pen that if inserted the incorrect way as in butt first it would get lodged inside the thing inside the little canister i guess or alleyway for it and wouldn't be able to pull it out and then you'd ruin your phone at least that aspect of it so now i guess they've made a statement saying they've updated the internals and the mechanism so that you don't have that same issue that's caused by inserting the s pen incorrectly there aren't any details as far as what was changed or in what way they changed it they still say as always we recommend following proper instructions for storing the s pen so so yeah, I have a bit of color to add to this, possibly. Okay. Uh, I saw, I think I fixed it or something, did a teardown. Someone did a teardown and looked at the different mechanisms. Of the new and basically, one. Basically, yeah, you can okay. still do it. You can still put it in backwards, but okay. now it will pop back out. Okay. Uh, whereas before, it would just get stuck. So they changed one of the little clip mechanism yeah. at the very end that latches yeah. and made it reversible. Uh, okay. Yeah. See, I can try to find that and put a yeah. link to it. Yeah, let's let's do that because yeah, yeah, I was wondering how they just that that actually makes sense. I thought they might just prevent it from going all the way in somehow, so that it would not. But that makes sense having the reversible latch system. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of one of those issues you have, whether it's mechanical design or coding design or that kind of thing or program design, where you're kind of trying to cater to. Not the lowest common denominator, but what most people will treat your program or device. Like you can't stupid proof it, but you have to say, okay, this is good enough for the amount of people that are going to be using it, the issues they might have. And I think this was one of those things where it's like, no one's going to put the pen in the wrong way. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and sure enough, they did. And it caused an issue. So if you make kinda... something that's idiot proof, someone else invents a better idiot. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Or a better is. idiot will come along. I don't know, inventing one, but you'll at least run into a better idiot. You, you get what I'm going for. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's good news, I guess, for, for those idiots out there using the Note 5. That yeah. they can put their pen in the wrong way without issue. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And then the next story that I have here is 
it was actually more recently, I think it was last week, we kind of touched on cell carriers and how kind of their distribution of towers might need to be changed or improved if we're kind of going to get widespread coverage, kind of like we were talking about the daisy-chained kind of networks. Right. So uh, Dan Bader, Mobile Syrup fame, Canadian tastemaker. So famous. He uh, he was on CBC recently, actually. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, he's very, he goes on CBC all the time. Yeah. He uh, he wrote a story on how, and I don't think it's new, but it's kind of a FYI, you might not know this already, how cell carriers are actually putting in smaller cell cellular cells i guess they're not towers but they're almost like the same way that wi-fi signal you can use kind of amplifiers or i don't know how you range boosters range boosters i guess is probably a better Mm -hmm. way to say it but they have them for the cell signal that you can put inside either inside buildings or just in specific places on the outside that kind of are just out of reach of cell signal but there's enough people that that it's worth kind of putting a mini kind of booster there so that they can mm-hmm. all get a good enough signal so he even he even touched on the fact that this is kind of how 5g networks will probably be designed is kind of just a, a network of these cells to kind of get signal wherever you need it to and it's also the same kind of system that the other 5g technology we looked at a long long time ago where it used the interference patterns of the cell signals to carry the signal uh, right. It used little cells distributed in different places. He'd have, you know, three or four of them within, you know, a mall versus relying on one single tower to give you your signal. So, um, yeah, we'll kind of put a link there just as an FYI, but just kind of as a follow-up reading, I guess. The fact that they're they're now doing yeah, it. Yeah, that they're already doing it. Because I think we've all had the issue where you, you have a perfectly fine signal, you walk into a mall and it's gone. And yeah. it's like, ugh. And so... <laughs> These kind of things you can put inside a mall to pick up a signal and redistribute it throughout the mall. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, I have some Hyperloop news. They've broken ground on a test track, but it's actually the start of a main track for this concept city they're building. Kind of like the, was it a Google city that we were talking about? Or I think it was Google Y or yeah, Google Y we yeah, were talking about. The big mega projects. Yeah, so this is kind of like a Google Y type project. It's not from Google, but it's another uh, another company. I don't have right. the company offhand right now. Hyperloop um, Transportation Technologies. Okay, yeah, so they bought some land and they're going to build a concept city, solar powered apparently. And the Hyperloop is going to be its main form of transportation that I guess is going to get you from one end of the city to the other in right. 80 seconds. Which is awesome. Yeah. That'd be really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, they've broken ground on that. So, they'll stay tuned for for working Hyperloop prototype. Yeah. Um, and then there's some uh, net neutrality news here. So, Netflix has started blocking VPN use in Australia. And we've been blocked from using it in our own home at least on our account. So really? Yeah. When, when we were using, we were using the service and then it wasn't working. It was giving errors on the Netflix servers. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as we switched the, like switched the VPN to Canadian, it worked fine. So huh. we kind of figured that that was the issue. We've had issues with the smart TVs connection to the servers in the past, but it's almost too coincidental that it started working as soon as we switched it to the Canadian right. uh, region. So, and we've actually found that, 
the Netflix content has improved quite a bit the past couple of years, the Canadian one. So you mm. almost don't even need the region change anymore. Like they have enough shows that we're, we're finding we're not even needing to switch back and forth that often. Okay. Um, and show me and crave, they all have kind of network shows already that Netflix doesn't carry. So I think between one of those services and, and Netflix, you should be fine. Even if it's just the Canadian content that you get. So, right. Um, mm. but this is kind of just more of a sign of a change that VPNs as they're designed now, aren't going to be working with Netflix anymore. Right. Do, uh, do Crave and Show Me, do they get the new release shows right away or within a day or something? Or do you still have to wait? Uh, so Show Me, they're, I believe, 24 hours or so behind. Okay. So we, we watched the show Jane the Virgin. I don't know if you guys have seen that show. It's, it's a pretty good yeah, show. I'd, I'd recommend watching it if you can get into that. Um, they're, yeah, they'll usually release the show about 24 to 48 hours after it's originally aired. Yeah, okay. So, which is fine, like... We'd probably have that same wait time if we DVR'd it anyway, yeah, yeah. so it's not a big deal. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where that's at. And last news in net neutrality is a while ago, about a year ago, Bell was uh, analyzed by the CRTC for their service of distributing their TV, mobile TV experience uh, to their customers, but not charging it against their data cap mm-hmm. um and they were found there's the crtc you know was saying hey you guys can't do this this is violating you know kind of net neutrality type rules that are in place where you need to treat all the different content the same way and bell came back saying well since we distribute it through tv already like they're the content provider i guess not just the distributor that they should be able to distribute to their mobile users the same way that they distribute to tv right so I guess the CRTC said, okay, fine, we'll listen to what you have to say here. You kind of got somewhat of a point, so we'll see if that holds up in in court or yeah. under just further analysis kind of thing. But I think Bell's kind of trying to like game the system a little bit or take advantage because yeah, yeah. not not every, you know, content provider is also a, you know, broadcast service. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those things that you kind of have to work out the rules as they come up. I think that there's, there aren't a lot of rules in place right now, so you almost have to make them as you need to. And this might be one of those things where they're either saying, yeah, you know, broadcasters, say CBC, could do the same thing if CBC had a mobile network as well, right. which they obviously don't. Um, but if, if they did, then they could do, you could distribute your content the same way and not have a count, count against your mobile users' data caps. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes, but it's kind of more of an update saying that what happened a year ago is now going to get appealed and, and reviewed a second time to, yeah. to figure out if there's going to be changes to the, to the rules in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would hope that there would be changes to the rules because this is kind of a whole new thing. Rogers and, and Bell are going to try to do something new and different yeah. than the old rules aren't going to apply you have to yeah. come up with new ones that fit yeah. everyone. When the issue that was there before was the over-the-top services like Show Me and Crave. And this year, TC said, no, you can't only offer that to your customers. You have to allow other people to buy, to buy into it too. Regardless yeah. of, you know, they're fine for price uh, discrimination. So Show Me and Crave, I believe, both have different price tiers for their 
actual subscribers and people not subscribed to their services. Right. I think there's about a $2 per month difference. Um, but either way, you're still allowed to get that service if you want to. Okay. Um, so, and then they, so I think Bell and uh, Tella, no, Rogers. I don't know whoever. So, so show is tell us, I believe. Yeah. So, so tell us and Rogers came back and said, Hey, 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 hold up. Bell has their NHL service, like game yeah. center or whatever you want to call. I can't remember what's the specific one. NHL game center live. Yeah. So they have game center live is like, that's not offered to everyone. Why are they allowed to do that? And they're saying that because that's an innovative service, that's not just redistributing content they're allowed to only offer to their subscribers. Well, no, because NHL Game Center Live, you can get it. It's just $150 a season. Or like $20 a month or $30 a month or something. Maybe that was the case, and that's why they decided to change it. Maybe. Like, right now, you can get it separately, too. There's one service. Maybe it was a... Maybe, oh, you know what it was? I think it was specific aspects of Game Center. I can't remember. Maybe it, okay, ha- it okay. could have changed since then. We can look into it. But there's a specific like experience where it's kind of like a more up close view or additional footage or highlights or that. I can't remember the specifics okay. of what it was, but there's a specific aspect to the service that wasn't being offered to everyone else that only the subscribers to their, uh, hmm. their other, you know, TV service got. And this year said, well, that's innovative. That's original content. That's, they're okay doing that. They're not just offering content that would be there anyway, kind of thing. Right. So these Fair are the enough. kind of rules that come up as needed. And it's like, you kind of got to make that judgment call. Yeah. So, Okay. Yeah. So uh, I have a couple pieces of space follow-up. Space. Of course. I, I couldn't – this wouldn't be future chat if we didn't talk about what happened. Of course, we teased it last week because we were recording right before uh, the Falcon 9 was due to do its latest test launch. And uh, they were going to try again to land on their barge. But this time, rather than doing it in the Atlantic Ocean, they were doing it on the, in the Pacific Ocean. And – so yeah, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this was watching intently like I was on uh, on nope. YouTube and on Twitter. <laughs> I can sure guarantee everyone... that's not true. <laughs> I was reading your live tweets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so basically it the, the thing landed and right on the barge, right in the center. And then I don't know, Mike, I'm sure you have experience with this, Nick. I don't know if you do, but you know how when you have like a stroller. Do I have experience unfold... with falling down? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, well that too. Uh when you unfold the stroller, you yeah. have to like clip the legs into place so they don't fold back yeah. up. Yeah. Uh one of the legs on the rocket as it was landing did not quite clip into place and so it just tipped and once it started tipping, that leg buckled and then the whole thing just uh exploded. And, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So it was it, like it really did if you watch the, Wait, the video and I'll, there's we'll, a cool explosion to see. There's a whole explosion. Oh man! Uh, so maybe I will it, watch. It this. landed. It landed. The engine powered off. It was on the ground, vertical for like three seconds, and then slowly just tipped. The leg was buckling, and then it just hit the ground, and then went boom. <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, but and actually, if you watch the video, or if you watch, there was video that I saw of them bringing the barge back to land. And most of the bottom part of the rocket is actually totally fine. Like it really just tipped over, but the, the actual main rocket part is just exploded. And uh, so I'm going to consider that like they didn't, 
they stuck the landing, but then just tipped over afterwards. So I don't, I don't know. That was like an eight point five, and then I don't know complete failure on because like style points. There was the one gymnast who broke her leg during the routine yeah. and then landed yeah. on it and managed to stick it. So like, yeah, it can be done. No excuse. It can be done. <laughs> but yeah. you just need the human element that that human yeah. endurance. You can't you can't get that with robots. Yeah. No, you can't. I think uh, they should talk to Graco because they have, like you said, they have experience having those little clippy mechanisms. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. I think just do a little collaboration there. Definitely. Next, next one, Falcon 9 <laughs> launch presented by Graco. <laughs> now, I was going to say I have a little bit of empathy for for Falcon 9 because this week I'd been sitting on the computer for like with my legs crossed or something like that a little too long. Mm-hmm. And I got up and started walking and was like, Oh, my entire leg is asleep. That's odd. Whatever. And carried on. Went, uh oh, this isn't okay. And just ended up tipping over, much like Falcon 9. <laughs> but you didn't explode. You did explode yeah. No, I, I I didn't explode. I mean, I'm here, so. Um, oh, that's good. I was going to say there was also a Reddit GIF that I couldn't find with cursory Googling just now. Um, said, you know, could this be the ideal solution for Falcon 9? Just like Falcon 9 lands and then some guides come up and wires on all four sides just mm. quickly cinch in to hold it up. Maybe that could be the answer. Yeah, it's possible. They, uh, I mean, yeah, they landed on land. The, the ocean part makes it hard. And also they were saying that weather was a contributing factor or was probably a contributing factor because it was insanely foggy. The entire day and so humidity may have built up on the legs as it was going through launch it may have gathered more moisture and then it got into the edge of space uh it's very possible that it would have just frozen over uh very much like the first iron man and uh so very much like like elon musk is very much a modern day iron man or at least a real iron man they will probably address this in the next edition of falcon 9 and all of this will be fine the so fact that he's iron man mechanisms Sorry? They'll address the fact that Elon Musk is Iron Man? No, they'll address <gasps> in the first Iron Man movie, in the climax, um, spoilers here. He uh, could he, have a press conference the same way Tony Stark he, did. He absolutely could. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, so if they, if they can figure out a way to get this de-iced or just have launches not take place through fog or be aware of this possibly being an issue uh, in foggy weather, then they could, they could do this. Hmm. Um, but... That being said, this whole the whole mission they they kept going through this. That I watched the whole like hour long um, live stream type thing. The whole point of the mission was to get the satellite, this weather uh, oceanography satellite, into orbit, and they did that. It was perfect, and so the landing was an accessory thing, and it it is like they they kept describing it as an experiment, and that really just made me happy that seeing that this is science it's not it's it's kind of like where pop culture and science meet where you have to realize that this is just they're showing everything to us even though it's not done normally you would see something they've done about they would do a bunch of test flights in secret get it working yeah. and then show you but here yeah. they're they have nasa contracts so they have to keep they have to be publicly accountable and uh on that note on the same uh kind of story here i don't know if you guys heard but i think it was just today or like yesterday blue origin relaunched their rocket and landed it again just again it was the same thing we talked about in past weeks where they 
literally just shot it up to the very technically edge of space, like 100 kilometers, released their little capsule, and then came back down and landed it on ground. So they, I guess if you really want to get technical, they're the first people to do a relaunch of a rocket and then catch the first stage. Oh, but, it was the same one. Yeah, the, the same, same, the oh, same okay. rocket. Gotcha. And uh, SpaceX could have done that, but they chose to keep their, their first one. So again, it's a little battle between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, but I'm still rooting for Elon to win in the end because obviously they have the contracts. I actually heard that uh, in this conference, they were talking about how the fact that the only reason they landed on the barge is because it takes special permits to to land at like either Cape Canaveral or Johnson Space Center, whatever it, wherever they were trying to land. It takes special permits and takes a lot of time to get those. And so they're trying to get those again for later missions. But the barge enables them to just kind of shoot and go. Yeah. And so they didn't have time to get the clearance for this January one where they needed this satellite to get into orbit. And so that's why they had to do it on the barge. But their goal is to get to be able to do it from land because the barge yeah. just adds an extra variable where you have to deal with the ocean. The ocean was terrible on the day they were trying to launch it. It was like they were saying it was like 15 foot waves. It's just like such an unideal situation to land a rocket on it. It's it's a kind of thing where if, if you can do it on a barge, you can do it on land. Yeah. Like so, yeah, exactly. it's, it shouldn't really it shouldn't really be a huge deal. All that really reminds yeah. me of is the quote from Dodgeball: "Where if you can dodge just, a ball, you can that. dodge a wrench." Or <laughs> if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Yeah. No, I was, I was thinking that as I was saying that quote, but I couldn't remember what movie it was from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so they'll get it and there there are lots more missions coming up and eventually they will <clears throat> sorry eventually they will nail the landing and eventually they'll get people on board and everything will be amazing. Yeah, go Elon. And <laughs> I am team Elon in case that wasn't clear. No, you you mentioned it earlier. It was clear. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The the last story <laughs> I have here, Nick. Yes. Even Phil Plate is almost on board with the fact that this this uh, planet or the star that we had talked about in past weeks that had uh, dropping sunlight around it, he they're they're slightly more they're at like point zero zero one percent convinced it might be aliens as Bill opposed to point zero 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 one. So when we talked about this this uh, planet that has possible quote unquote alien megastructures around it, um, people were saying no, it's probably just a cloud of comets. And they were going to do more math on it and analyze it and go back into past archives and see what was going on. And they've just, they've ruled out now. I just want to mention this in follow up because they've ruled out comets. It, it would have to be like tens of thousands of giant comets that nobody's ever seen comets this big before in order to block this out. And it's actually this light that's coming from the star has decreased like 20% in several months. Like it's just not. It's too fast over too short a period to be anything that we can really conceive of at the moment. What if, what if it's a star killer base? Ooh, I, well, actually, I, I did technically think about that. And actually, there's a story that is new in this week's show uh, that is also possibly a star killer base. Basically, oh. Star Wars could be all around us. It could be our actual universe right now and not a long time ago. Uh, far far away but yeah uh they still don't know what this is but it is not comets and so technically if we're seeing it now it would it have happened. been a long yeah, time ago. i guess so so we're just seeing the movie of what happened already 
and it's coming out at the exact same time. And due to gravitational, we're length, seeing something from a a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, and so in theory, <laughs> if if we were seeing events for, due to gravitational lensing, we were seeing events from two different times from uh, at the same location. We could, in fact, some somehow possibly see events that happened 30 years earlier later in our actual time so in theory the prequels could actually <laughs> arrive like the light from the prequels could actually arrive here after the original events of, of the original trilogy but uh but that's getting into way too deep physics for uh for i think the scope of this show but it's something to think about anyways uh we're, we still don't know what this what's causing this amazing or really high dip of brightness in the star but uh it is not comets and so their scientists scientists want to rule everything out before they say it's aliens or at least have some evidence of aliens themselves before uh, saying it is but we still have no idea what it is yeah and i'll i'll go on the record again saying i think every scientist hopes it's aliens oh yeah but like, they need evidence. They need evidence, but <laughs> everyone hopes it is. Like, don't don't get anyone wrong about that. I don't think anyone hopes it's not aliens. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so that's it for our extremely long session of follow up. Uh, Nick, you did uh, the tiniest possible amount of research on CRISPR, and you wanted to talk a bit more about it this week. Well, I wanted to talk with you guys about it specifically because yeah, 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 that that was the the agreement that we made that mm-hmm. everyone would read up on it a little more and then we would talk about it. That's true. And so then, I is this conversation totally useless if we didn't do that? Uh, maybe. Okay. Well, we didn't actually really talk about it the first time. No, we didn't. So there was a story from this American, this American life this past week under the title of something only I can see. And it was really interesting. They, um, they had a person with muscular dystrophy on to tell her story. And it turned out she had these two just outrageously rare genetic diseases. Mm -hmm. And one was something that caused, you know, muscular dystrophy. And the other was, one that it impaired the body's ability to store fat. But okay. it was interesting because it was like to a point where it became dangerous for the individual. So I guess what happened was, uh, you know, she, for a while she thought they thought she had intern syndrome cause she was researching this rare genetic disease that prevented you from getting fat. Okay. And she looked at her arms, her skinny arms with the veins popping out and went, huh, I wonder if I have that. Hmm. But a few years later, a relative of hers looked at this Olympic sprinter and she had the same kind of really veiny arms and legs. And, you know, people just assumed it was because she was an Olympian, like a very, very good athlete. Right. But, you know, long story longer and total, total spoilers. Um, It turned out that they had the same genetic uh, disease with regard to fat storage to the point where like 
they called up the athlete with results and said, Hey, uh, I have news for you. Can I, can we talk? And they were like, uh, it's not really a great time. I'm at the mall. He's like, Oh, are, are you about to eat lunch? Cause this is actually like, you know, life changing advice. Right. But because they can't store fat in their body, it just goes through their veins. And so if they eat particularly fatty foods, it all goes to the blood and could potentially cause a heart attack or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So they like literally said, no, if you're about to eat lunch, don't eat a burger because right. it could kill you. But huh. how this relates to CRISPR is they looked at the genome or the specific sections of the genome to do with uh, muscle growth or something like that. And they found the defect in the one lady that led to muscular dystrophy. And that was, it was just one letter off. It was like, I think a C and G had gotten turned backwards and that had impaired her body's ability to create muscle. Hmm. But in the athlete, there was a mutation that was just a few letters down that was a similar flip, but that allowed her to put on muscle. Like there's, you know, like it's going out of style. Right. And she's an Olympic sprinter. Hmm. So I think when I first talked about CRISPR, like the, one of the lead researchers on it had a, their son's friend had muscular dystrophy and he was able to just, in a it was in a Petri dish granted, but he was able to introduce CRISPR or uh, introduce the CRISPR virus somehow, mm-hmm. use the CRISPR treatment, whatever the verbiage is. Right. Yeah. And it completely eliminated the muscular dystrophy causing defect in the Petri dish. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I think that's a way of saying like, this is how powerful CRISPR could be. Because it's one where you just give an exact sequence to it and it will snip it out. And apparently, from some reading I've just done, and we can put the links in the notes. Yeah. Um, apparently, it's possible to either just patch that so that it's just nothing in the middle. Or alternatively, you can introduce something else into that space you just created in terms of gene therapy. Okay. Mm. And so like with one letter difference, you could either create someone that has just a horrible disease that involves wasting away, or you could just make Olympic athletes. Right. And it's all in this one important gene, this one sequence. It's it's all in this one very specific part of your genome. So I don't know anything about genetics pretty much so (laughs) excuse if this is a stupid question but if you're using this method to replace and modify genes in fully grown people or organisms i guess how many different dna strands do you have to do that same process to for it to actually make that change like does the dna self-replicate and just kind of spread once you make that one change or how does that work 
I think the idea, you know? I think the idea with CRISPR is it hijacks or it's part of a bacterium. It's part of E. coli. And so it ends up hijacking, I think your immune system. So theoretically, like your, your body does most of the work. Right. That's my so, understanding too. So, okay. So you make whatever change and then just from that point on, that's the DNA that your body uses to generate cells. Yeah. So you're not, you're not necessarily changing all your existing cells or the necessary existing cells. You're making one change, one place. And then from that point on, it does, it takes care of itself and just wait and wait for the changes to take effect, I guess. Yes. Well, I think in, that's in probably theory, you would, it. You would treat the body you could either give an injection or whatever delivery method you'd get it into the body and then the virus would go around cells and do its thing like make the change that it's designed to make and then so it would make it to all the dna in a cell in that in one whatever specific spot you want and then it would go to other cells and do the same thing like it would it is that how that works that's what i'm asking yeah and so once the dna is changed in a cell when that cell splits, you have two copies of that right. DNA. Right. No, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the yeah. old, in theory, the old cells would die off and be recycled and then turned into new cells that have this new DNA, in mm. theory. Yeah, it's what, like a six-month cycle where your cells are totally replaced? Something like that? It depends, on, it depends on the actual – it depends on where the virus can get in your body because there's stuff like the blood-brain barrier that it may not – you may have to like inject it directly into your brain if you wanted it to get in there. But – all your different cells are on totally different scales. Like your stomach lining and your inside of your mouth get changed like every couple days, but some other cells last a lot longer. Yeah. There's I saw an ASAP science video on this. Yeah. A while ago. Yeah. There's no, there's no like firm time, but it just depends on when you're like when cells die. And if you have like some trauma that could speed things up or slow things down, like it it really depends. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, the body's weird. So that's what CRISPR could do. Mm. But that's just like, that's just people. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's just our entire species. It can work on other species too. <laughs> so like the entirety of our food supply could be affected by this. Just everything. Right. And so that's like, that's why they very much said it on quirks and quirks that it was a good candidate for story of the year. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It just has applications everywhere. I mean, if you can, it, it, it's like a, it's like a copy paste for the body. Like you can just make any change you need to, as long as you know what, what you're doing, then you can just, and obviously this is going to need to stand up to rigorous scientific testing before it gets used on humans for, for any kind of treatment. But it seems like it's just the kind of thing where you once you tailor this virus to do whatever you need it to do, it'll just go to town on it. Yeah. Well, apparently it – I forget exactly the history, but it said the other thing is with uh, – it can be used as a viral treatment because like the virus hijack – a virus will hijack your cells too and just yeah. insert viral DNA into your cells so that it replicates the virus. But CRISPR apparently can just say, oh, that bit. Yeah, we don't need that bit. Just get rid of it. Huh. Interesting. 
any more to say on CRISPR or is that we should, we should theoretically now do our homework and then revisit it at some I, point desperately. Cause there's just so much we could potentially talk about. Okay. That's probably not going to happen, but I will, I will look into it and, uh, Mike, let me, I'll, let me try and frame this better for you. What if, what if this was somehow applicable to cell phones, Mike? Then I would definitely be reading it. Okay, yeah. And we could definitely get you excited. <laughs> it kind of worked. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's CRISPR. And I, I, I honestly am because I'm very intrigued. I'm going to go and look at it and try to figure it out. Albeit, yeah. admittedly, I don't have a big background in biology or genetics either but i find the whole thing really interesting and so i have picked some stuff up very interesting hmm. uh so the next story we want to talk about here i don't know how much you guys heard about this but it was all over everything i look at on the internet um so researchers looking it was actually apparently the team of the guy who found the the dwarf planet that was bigger than pluto that caused them to reevaluate pluto's status as a planet uh, so that's Mike Brown from Caltech. They have he has his, he and his team have located or have have not detected. Located. They've they've pre- they've predicted. They, yes, that's yeah, a good word. Pre- yeah. They've predicted a new uh, ninth planet, and apparently it's gigantic. It's somewhere between uh, Earth and Neptune. They're saying smaller than Neptune, but quite a bit bigger than Earth. Uh, it's, it's insanely far away. Its orbit is like twenty thousand years. And but it it has been or something out there has been disrupting the gravitational uh, pull of objects in the area, and basically it's caused a bunch of comets or asteroids or or other bodies out that we have observed to be way out of uh, where the orbit we'd expect them to be in. And the only thing that would cause that, like they've done a bunch of math and orbital mechanics work. And discovered that if there's something out there that's about this size and in about this location, uh, that it would perfectly explain all of the other stuff we're seeing. And so basically this team has now said, this is about where we expect something to be. It's going to be very dark because it's going to be cold and it's going to be far away. It's not going to like it's not a star or anything, so it's not going to be giving off a lot of light. But uh, if you can if you could find this, this would be a huge discovery like we haven't discovered uh something that big in our solar in, this would be in our solar system it's very far away but it would be still in our solar system and we haven't discovered something that big since or that big and important since pluto which was like the 1930s so i'm um, it's pretty exciting stuff yeah no i saw so, so go ahead the the way i found out about this was that someone said oh i get it uh David Bowie passes away and all of a sudden we've detected a ninth planet. Save your explanation, science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw a schematic of what the orbit looks like mm-hmm. and it, it looks pretty much what you'd Is it elliptical? For, yeah. And, and, well, oh. it's, and it's, it's, an, it's a non-central it's – it's a non-central focal point of the orbit, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. So like it's the same way, like, like a comet, like the way that a comet, it kind of goes like you'd have here, let's try it. So you'd have like your central <laughs> point here. So it goes like this 
and then kind of comes close and then swings way back far out like that. An eccentric orbit, I think, is the word. As if, as if there was, as if there was a focus to it. That's why I said like, it's a non-central focus. And how do you God describe sakes. something with two oh, foci? No. What is it? <laughs> oh, it's an ellipse. Nick, he, every orbit in our solar system is elliptical by some degree. Nick, this is I, just highly elliptical. Yeah, Nicholas. highly elliptical. It's, it's, it's oh. very eccentric, I think is the word they use to describe a highly elliptical. Oh, okay, eccentric. I'm yeah. trying to explain it visually for our, our viewers, <laughs> Nick. Trying to but explain it visually for And it makes for fantastic podcasting, I got to say. <laughs> uh, so... I mean, there's not a ton to say about this yet because it hasn't been confirmed. And I should say, everything that I'm reading, we have, there has been talk of a ninth planet for a really long time. Basically, since we discovered Pluto, people were saying, oh, you know, there's there's a thing out there and it could be another planet. Like there's something disturbing gravity and we, we have not ever found anything outside of Pluto. Uh, but the fact that this is a, like it's a well-respected group. They wouldn't be publishing these findings unless they thought there was a real, like they wouldn't be publishing them and, and publicizing them in the way that they are unless there was a real chance. And they actually wanted, like they, they're encouraging people, astronomers to go out and search for it with their, with whatever big telescopes they can, yeah. they can get their hands on. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by, uh, by the possibility. And there's, there's a couple of videos. I have a link here from the Huffington post science uh, wing showing the orbits and showing all the other comets and asteroids and stuff, all the larger bodies that have been disrupted by it. It's, I don't know a ton about orbital mechanics, but I, I trust the guys that have been discovering these things for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I saw NASA release a statement on this because they of course. probably should. Yeah. And uh, I guess Vox picked up the story and they turned it into NASA downplaying the the yeah, prediction too and i was like and i read it i'm like they literally used the words nasa said it was just a theory they literally <laughs> said just a theory and i'm like no there's no way they said it's just a theory so i watched the whole video and they picked the word theorist like the they i think nasa's director was like oh these types of theories are important for science because blah 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 right and then Vox said, oh, they said it's just a theory. And I'm like. <laughs> <sighs> this is Vox, the science wing of Vox. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it's a science wing. It was whoever was in charge of writing that stupid right. article yeah. called this, said it's just a theory. And I'm like, oh, my God, guys. Like, well, we should link to the NASA video because it's actually very good. It was a very positive video saying, you know, it's good to be excited about this. It, this is a very, you know, important step in the scientific process. But there's a healthy discussion and debate going on as far as what could be causing these gravitational effects and this this one model does fit that explanation like it it gives a valid explanation for this but there's still discussion as far as how likely it is that this model is actually explaining what's going on yeah because you can you know in a way you can make a model fit anything depending like that's just how models work if you tweak the numbers enough you can kind of get it to explain whatever you want almost. That's the same way climate models work is there's so many variables that you can tweak them all to kind of fit whatever model you want. But it's just how valid and how likely that model is to explain it. So 
so one example of why there's doubt about this model is that because the planet has such a wide orbit in the formation of the solar system, why hadn't it been kicked out of the solar system altogether? Like, how was right. it able to still maintain, like, if it was formed in the solar system and then bumped out, but still able to kind of swing back and form that orbit? That's highly unlikely. That's kind of what they're saying. So it's like, let's try to figure out all the different aspects of this and see if it's if it's a valid explanation. And then obviously they want to visually detect it. Yeah. So that's like you were saying, they're going to use like the giant telescopes that actually can gather enough light to see the planet if it's there. Right. Um, so they have a they they have a predicted region that is going to end up at whatever point in time that they're going to start focusing their telescopes on to see if they can actually visually detect it. Yeah. Versus just explaining the gravitational effects by this model. Sure. So what I'm hearing is that we're taking on Vox. Absolutely. Oh, they've been taken on lots of times before. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. But, but maybe it's it's future chat and the unwind media empire that can finally drive a stake through its black heart. I hope so. Okay. You can Absolutely. Only, yeah, that's the goal anyway. Solid. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they yeah. need more science I, writers. Maybe they need a podcast. I think they do. I think they do as well. Yeah. So, uh, Again, this is one of those things where it's happened and or they've at least they've done the research, they published the paper and uh now we just have to wait until they find a planet. I I think just based on the fact that we've theorized for a while like we being the collective we of astronomers have theorized for a while that Are you a part of that? I was going to say totally. of course of which you are a part Rob. <laughs> I'm a scientist because I say I'm a scientist. I'm You're, astronomer. You just said astronomer. Have used a telescope. Okay. Anyways, gotcha. Uh Glad we got that cleared up. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I lost I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> uh okay. So if we um every time we look out in space and we say, "Oh, you know, there's there's a thing." There ends up being billions of those things and originally like 20 or 30 years ago a lot of people were saying oh you know like our plan our our solar system's unique in the universe now we're finding like there's an average of something like 10 or 15 uh different planets orbiting every star in the universe and it like once we find something like this once we found once we found one dwarf planet uh that wasn't pluto we started finding like a whole bunch of them and I feel like once we find like these things are out of our visual scope, like we can't just look out and see this planet that's, uh, I mean, light hours, light days away. We can't see them directly, but it doesn't mean they're not out there. I'm sure there are a bunch of planets like that. There, there could be like if you just go out into interstellar space, there are probably rogue planets just flying all over the place. It's there's like there's matter everywhere. You're not going to. Like if 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 a a rocky planet gets just ejected from its solar system in the early formation or whatever when everything is all over the place, even our solar system, if it gets flung out into interstellar space, the odds that it's going to ever meet up with another star are tiny. Like it it'll just be flying all over the place, especially if it's going fast enough. It'll just never encounter anything that has gravity enough to trap it. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all that there's not just one planet nine, but there's there's a whole bunch of planets that we just haven't observed haven't observed yet because they're either too small even if they're around earth size they're too small to observe and we're just never going to see them 
there I, I feel like planets are everywhere and it's just a matter of time before we start finding them as our instruments gets more and more sensitive as we get better at finding them anyways i agree yeah <laughs> it's not it's not like hard to disagree with that because yeah. it's so wishy-washy but <laughs> yeah. uh so mike you wanted to talk this week about uh about our good friends at Numberphile and some of the work that they did talking to researchers about a new discovery. I I want to talk about the fact that this discovery was made at all because this is this is as big news as the new planet, really. Yeah, I mean, d- very different kinds of news. I don't know if you can <laughs> compare them. What happened? It's, so we discovered and actually found. This you isn't the, just a you prediction. Use the we as well there. <laughs> <laughs> we as we as, as humanity as humanity <laughs> the mathematicians as a part of our humanity yeah, okay. have have discovered a new largest known prime number obviously it's not the largest because there's an infinite amount of numbers so it's sure. the largest one is out there even bigger than this but we've actually found this one and it is i believe two 200 hold on i don't have the stats in front of me here i was gonna say if what you've told me earlier is to be a, any judge then i think the next prime number will be two to the power of 75 or 74 million two hundred and seven thousand two hundred and eighty two minus one you'd, you'd think so that's not true oh <laughs> so that so this was a mersenne prime that was found and they are of the form two to the power of some prime number minus one Oh, uh, because so it's got to be a two to the power number. Two to the power of that prime number, or two to the power of a prime number is even, which obviously isn't prime. Right. Um, but if you subtract one off it, then it's odd, and in that case, it could be prime. Yeah. And percent primes are ones that actually are prime. Yes. Where and and the power to the two is supposed to be prime as well. That's not the only primes that there are, but that's a specific yeah, type, that's a, a type. special it's type of prime. Easy to find. It's yeah. The the, the it takes way of a lot of time. <laughs> It takes a lot of time still, but they're easier ones to find because yeah. they're they're of that specific form. Yeah. Um, and the checking process, I guess, there's various ways that are computer mechanically efficient yeah. to find. You don't have to just check every single divisor ever to find if it's prime or not. Um, so the number itself is 2 to the power of 74,207,281 minus 1. Right. Uh, and so we'll post a link that the the uh, mersenne.org they have a an article on it that gives a bunch of different stats on the number itself. We won't go into great detail there, but I thought it was interesting just the fact that this project called the GIMPS project, so it's a great international Mersenne Prime search. Okay. Um, this this is going on, and you can actually dedicate your computer to crunching numbers for this project to help in finding it. And if your computer was the one that found the number, then you get credited with the discovery, right? which is pretty cool. But the guy that found it, Dr. Cooper, uh, I don't have his first name off. Sheldon. No, it's not Sheldon. (laughs) Um, He has, he works at a university and he actually has 800 computers working to find these primes. So he's actually found four, four of these primes already. And uh, it was actually found on September 17th, but Found by the, the com- computer. Found by the computer, yeah. but the computer didn't notify anyone that it had found it. So it was not until someone was doing some data checks back in January, like this month, that they're like, wait, this looks like it was a prime. So then they 
rechecked it two more times on two different programs and confirmed that it was in fact prime. Mm. So the checking of it initially took 31 days to do the calculation, the number crunching, and then the checks took, I think, two to three days each right. to do. And yeah, like there's a a good number file video that explains how these numbers are checked, like mm-hmm. the Mersenne primes. And uh, there's an interview there from Matt Parker as well that yeah. with the re- with the discover. So it's it's cool, like that you can do this, and there really is no point to finding these primes. It's just why not? Like be, once you get this big, prime numbers obviously play a big factor in uh, cryptography and yeah and uh, that kind of thing. But as far as just finding bigger ones, it's just because you can. I think yeah. that's kind of the thing, the search for knowledge. And yeah, it's, I think it's 200 million digits. That sounds. It's a lot of digits. Like it, that's what it was. It was a lot of digits. Yeah. They actually printed out <laughs> the number. Yeah. And it's in like three volumes. It's like 1200 pages uh, of like one point font it seems numbers. like a waste of paper. It, it was nicely. Paper. It was nicely bound, and yeah. it, 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 it was, was recycled nice. paper. Yeah, it was recycled paper. That's true. Well, as long uh, as it looks nice. <laughs> no, as in like it, it wasn't. A, it wasn't like print and throw it out. It's like you'd keep it. Yeah. Why? So, I don't know. Why not? <laughs> it's a record of the discovery. So it's the number itself. So as a guy who, like, I prefer hard copy books to digital books. I just I mm-hmm. like reading them better. I like the ability to pass off physical books to friends or receive physical books yourself. But this is one instance where I'm like, oh my God, just use the digital copy. The digital copy is so much less important than a paper copy is. I would say. Really? What's the purpose in having that unless you're going to print it out? Like I'm a person who loves, I again, this is very CGP Grey-like. I would not want it in my house, but the fact that it exists printed, I think is cool. <laughs> uh-huh. i have no use for it but the record of it i think is interesting like if you have a digital copy basically if, if you have a pdf of this you can just scroll through and look at pages of numbers it has no context it has no meaning but if you have it printed in a three volume set i think it's really cool what if they had said hypothetically if you printed this out it would be a three volume set would that have impressed you more or less it doesn't Less. impress me. I'm not impressed that they printed it. I just think it's interesting. Like I think it's a better record printed out than it would be than it is in a PDF. I'm impressed they printed why it. Why don't they you know what why don't they <laughs> carve it in stone? That way that would this prime number time. will be there for millennia for for generations I'd, to see. Mm-hmm. I'd argue that's less permanent. <laughs> Erosion is a B. So Yeah, and well, you know paper always lasts, paper lasts forever, forever. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's fireproof it's waterproof it's it's all the proofs yeah. yeah what if we encoded it into dna that would be pretty cool now what that if we what if we permanent. took this prime number and stored it on a cell phone app would that Ooh. be like of the utmost excitement that'd be a giant app yeah if each number like how many <laughs> bytes would that be Jesus. 200 mil 200 million digits it's a lot in binary well, it'd be hexadecimal. You'd have to do. Uh, I guess hex. Well, yeah. If each character is a byte, right? Or no? It, yeah, I guess it would be ASCII. No, because you, 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 have to you would encode it, it as like in the binary it would have to be bytes. ASCII. So you can go up to 
256. So I'm sure there's a way to compress that 255, somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Their eight, eight bits is one character. Someone do the math and find it be a so giant number, but 200 million digits times eight. Wait, 200 yes, million, 60 million. If it's 1. just 1.6 trillion digits. No, but a byte is the character. So yeah. if it's yeah. 200 million, then it's 200 it's just in, it would just be in bytes. It'd be 200 million bytes. But let's do some follow up next week on this. Kilobytes. Sure. Figure out megabytes. how big this app is going to be. Mike, you're in charge of this. Gigabytes. <laughs> I no, think billion gigabytes. is giga. I think that's right. Can't. Do we say yeah. billion or million? Million. Oh, so it's it's only 200 megabytes. Uh, maybe. I was going to say you could fit that on a floppy, and I was massive. like, no, not quite a floppy, but <laughs> a USB stick. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's that. So, yeah. It's like, guys, there is something that could change life on Earth as we know it. Treat every known genetic disease. Eh, it's fine. <laughs> guys, there's a number, new though. prime number. What? <laughs> wow. This is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. They printed, it? <laughs> <laughs> they printed it on paper and it took three books. <laughs> uh, this is the best. This is the best day. I, the prime number, right? It's so exciting. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Just- Okay, just put this into perspective, okay? You have this number that takes three books, 1,200 pages. And it's only divisible by one and itself. Exactly! Whoa! How is that not amazing? It's so big a number. How does it not have more divisors? (laughs) I know. (laughs) This is real excitement. It it is it is very interesting. I will say that. Like I love prime numbers, especially when they get that huge. Like mathematically, they have to exist, but it's really cool. <laughs> like you're never gonna find the last prime number, so it's like because there's an infinite number of primes. Yeah. I know. That's what I mean. <laughs> oh, you guys suck. Okay, let's move I, on. I'm I'm teasing you, but I I genuinely think this is really. I cool. know Nick doesn't. I think it's really cool. I just. <laughs> i'm impressed by your enthusiasm is all yeah which makes sense although you did say you did say it was a distributed thing and as you were talking about i was like this seems like one of those things where if you just had a screensaver that did this that would be a great idea well that yeah that's basically what it was he he petitioned the university to let him use the idle time of the computers on campus oh i guys i have i have real-time update uh oh! I laughed Uh-oh. so hard at Mike's story that I woke Kai up. <laughs> is she is she giving you the stink eye right now? <laughs> she's she's pointing and glaring. <laughs> What's she pointing at? Me. <laughs> oh. In in a in a look that says jacuzzi. <laughs> the worst because she Touch- that's my that's the entirety of my writing staff right there. You just, yeah. you just pissed off my entire writing staff, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of your own fault on that one. <laughs> so, Mike. Anyway, yes. you uh You had some car news that you wanted to talk about that we did I not did. get to last week. Yes. And there's actually follow-up this week. So, it's good yeah. we didn't talk about it last week. Perfect. So, there's a uh, – you guys have heard of Android Auto and CarPlay. Apple. CarPlay. I was going to say Apple Car. CarPlay. <laughs> Apple Car is something different. So CarPlay and Android Auto, they're both, uh, I guess, heads-up, not heads-up displays. Is that what Dashboard you call them? Dashboard displays. Dashboard displays. 
and they integrate with your phone with apps and you know if a call comes in it will tell you who calls and all that kind of stuff and like bmw audi those types of higher-end cars they have similar type of dashboard displays as well that you can hook your phone up to and you can make calls from it and that kind of thing and you know control the radio and that you know what have you Mm -hmm. so ford and toyota i guess are trying to push the industry to adopt a standard for coding and integrating apps into their dashboard displays and they're calling it smart device link okay and the idea is that by adopting a standard it allows automakers to have you know consistency obviously as far as telling having your phone tell the car you know start my engine you know start it up or set the alarm or unlock the doors or whatever because right now most dashboard displays don't actually have access to the car functionality like they'll mm-hmm. have access to the audio and that kind of thing but as far as actually the you know starting the car and that kind of stuff it's all computerized already but the dashboard display doesn't isn't able to call functions for that system but what they're hoping is that they'll start being able to do that because Tesla has that type of functionality built into their cars i believe um being able to do various stuff from your phone or through the dashboard display to actually do stuff with the car. Yeah, they do. Um, so by adopting the standard, then, you know, you, you allow app developers to develop apps for that and all that kind of stuff. And then you don't have to develop it. Okay. This works with Fords. This works with Toyotas. This works with this specific model of Ford, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this past week, I just came across an article that Ford has this system called Ford Pass. Okay. And it's essentially their version of the dashboard display and app, like smartphone app integration. And it works just that same way. You know, you'd be able to call stuff for your car from your phone. And there's various other kind of gimmicky type stuff with the app. Like there's Ford Pay where you can, I don't know if it's hooking up a credit card to it or you just, link it with Ford directly and they invoice you or whatever, but you can pay for parking through this app. You can, I don't know what else do you, I don't think you'd be paying for Starbucks or anything with it, but right. you can do various purchases through this app, I guess. Wouldn't and that be re- great in a drive through though? Yeah. <laughs> just scan you my just dash. drive through yeah. and you're already billed. <laughs> they, uh, so yeah, they, they're, they're doing this, but I think the bigger story is just the fact that they're coming up with a standard and that's not, android or or apple they're trying to come up with their own standard which is kind of confusing to me it's like why not just pick one or the other i guess like it's either android auto or or, uh carplay but i guess if they want to come up with their own at least make it a standard i think that's probably a good idea and and i'm sure you'd be able to get apps that work with the smart device link for android or apple ideally that you shouldn't need you know another device to control it right like so at, at that point i guess you're removing the walled garden of apple or android that you can kind of open it up to both by having your third system that works with both um but i think you're just going to start seeing more of this with with a lot of these types of things like you're going to automate everything like your fridge is going to have you know integration with your phone your dishwasher whatever Right. I think they're all going to have something at some point. If you want to. So I've posted the relevant XKCD in the notes. Did you put it in the right place again? No. 
He did. Almost okay, certainly okay. not. He put it in the actual right place, not the oh, wrong good. right place. Oh, and then yeah. I copied it and pasted it and it didn't go well. Anyway, I'll just let you yeah. check that. Yeah. There are but see current situation, the good- there are two competing <laughs> standards. And then they go, yes. This is ridiculous. We need a standard that will cover everyone's use cases. Yeah. Situation or soon. There are three competing standards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully this doesn't turn into that. We can only yeah. hope. Yeah, because the entirety hope. of humanity thus far has been, you know, universal cohesion. <laughs> yeah. Even USBs now are are not as universal as they should be. Yeah, not at all. Which is sad, given the U. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Mike, I have a follow up question. Okay. This this Ford Pay link is from a site called nfcworld.com or nfcworld.net. Yeah, that's just the one I came across. How, is that how. in your RSS feeds or what? How did? I, that was a link that Twitter. I oh, came across okay. a guy on Twitter posted it. Okay. Because he was talking about Ford Pay. And it was a very link clickbaity title because it said Ford enters the mobile payments market. I'm like, what? Why would they do that? Yeah. And then I read, I'm like, that's not what it is at all. But <laughs> kind of missed the bigger picture of the story there. But I mean, a car is mobile, technically. That's not what it it's means, good because we've never <laughs> reached for a connection ever. No. Especially never. me. No. <laughs> I'm guiltless in all of this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is very interesting. And uh, Ford, I think, has gone further than any car manufacturer has in trying to connect the, the car. And so it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all that they're doing this. But uh, I don't think it's going to take over any – I don't think any other car manufacturers are likely to kind of incorporate this framework into their cars. I think they're either going to come up with something for themselves or adopt – like they already are adopting either Android Auto or CarPlay. Yeah, and I, I think I would want some sort of dashboard display yeah. that links with my phone, whether it's Android Auto, CarPlay, or or something else. But I would want something because it just it sucks. Like for one, it's not safe to try to control your phone while you're driving. Like even if it's for navigation, like you don't want to have to be fiddling with this small screen. If it's dashboard display, it's easier to kind of. Yeah. You know, alternate route or whatever um and music and all that kind of stuff if you're having to go through your phone to control changing songs that kind of stuff it's not practical so right i think a dashboard display is good and if it can integrate with your phone then that's all the better yep uh was there more on the car or uh or no, was that's that it pretty much everything i think okay i i yeah. i always feel bad about the car stuff because i like I, I drive a car more now than i ever have like in the last year or so but i'd still like I know very little about actual car technology and like I've never owned a car or rented a car or anything like it's when I say rented I mean like I've been in a rental car I've just never actually done it so like I I know nothing about the mechanics of of right. car dashboards if I was ever going to buy one it would have to be a Tesla or something cuz having a <laughs> what I'm going to call a dumb car would just it would annoy me so much knowing that better exists out there yeah, yeah. even for me like we don't even have bluetooth in our stereo system right and I'm like bluetooth like all what cars have Bluetooth. Yeah. Order, yeah. What are we even doing? That's like, I actually think that to myself. <laughs> I don't know. I've had, I've had mixed reviews of Bluetooth compatible vehicles. Yeah. Like, some do it right. Some do it less right. Like the Hyundai, we rented a Hyundai Veloster this past mm-hmm. weekend because Kaya. sounds like a real car. Sorry. 
That sounds like a real car. It sounds made up. Yeah. Very made up. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making up cars now. But <laughs> Kaya actually planned a day for a day in band for us, which was absolutely fantastic. But the Veloster did a great job of Bluetooth integration. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like the Fiat 500, which is just it looks like a fun car. It has such potential, but the inside of it is just awful. Just terrible. Oh, mm-hmm. Like the Bluetooth will do phone calls for you. But it won't pick up your uh, your phone's audio, like for podcasting or music or anything, right. right? Which is aggravating because it's like it accepts you doing phone calls and doing that hands free, so you know the technology is there, you know the ability <laughs> yeah. is there. It just won't let you, and I find that the most infuriating thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if that's the kind of thing where if you took it to a dealer, they'd be like, oh, yeah, there's a software update for this. And it would enable – like it updates the firmware to enable this. And I just – like you just don't do that very often. But right. yeah, who knows? Julia's well, car is the same way. You can do phone calls but not play music. I feel like that's inexcusable is what I feel like. It it does. It feels very inexcusable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the the story I have here, the next space story, because literally every story that I put in this week is about space. Uh, this is something that I first saw last week, but we didn't get a chance to talk about. And uh, I just thought it was real. like, I love space. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm an astronomer. Uh, <laughs> and so we discovered, or we, we discovered, uh, we looked at Those into, we. we, we, we've established that we is okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> we looked very far out into space and uh, we saw basically the brightest thing that we had ever seen before. And whether they're not actually sure what it is exactly, but whether it's a black hole gobbling up a giant star, whether it's like a neutron star that's huge and pulsating, there's there's a thing called a magnetar. Uh, if you haven't watched uh, Crash Course Astronomy, I really suggest watching that. It's a series on youtube by phil plate and uh, he talks a little bit about magnetars and he talks about big black holes and that kind of thing and so they think it in essence it's a supernova so it's a star exploding but they don't actually know like it it shouldn't be as bright as it is if that's all that's happening because it's super far away and uh so basically it's they say it's billions of light years away it's it's something like 200 times brighter than any galaxy we've ever seen. And right now it's, yeah. So they're saying right now it's 20 times brighter than the Milky Way galaxy put together, which has billions of stars, like something like quadrillions of stars in it. Hmm. it. It's so powerful. It's so bright. And we just have, no idea what could ever do this, but like it's rewriting the laws of physics at that scale that we know of. No, wait, what if, what if that star that's too dim, what if the what star mean? killer is eating that star and Ooh. this brightest thing we've ever seen? Maybe that was star killer just, you know, wiping that thing out with the star that's dimming. Right. I did not think of that. How could we but, tie uh, aliens into this, Rob? Is this aliens? <laughs> it's, it's not a Dyson sphere because it's brighter. It's not dimmer. Yeah. I I like where your head's at. I don't think it's aliens. 
Um, Are you sure? <laughs> I'm not sure. You're positive it's I don't not think aliens? It's aliens? Because it's so big and bright and far away, like, <clears throat> this is, yeah. because it's so far away, it happened so long ago that I don't think aliens would have had time to be as advanced as they would need to be by then. You know what I mean? Like this is happening billions of years ago. Yeah, and life has almost certainly only ever existed here at this current no, time. No, the age of the universe though is what? Infinite. Four and a, wait, no. Who's you know who's how, saying the universe is infinite? We know how old the universe is. Oh wait, no, I was thinking physical space. How long ago was this? <laughs> uh this one I, I think this is the one. It was like four four billion light years away. Not totally doable. It's possible, but it's a yeah. lot less likely. Like as as time goes on, we're much more likely. Well, they had ten billion years to advance, so yeah, I guess it's. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's less likely in the infinite universe, the infinite scope of the universe. We've advanced as far as we have in like six hundred million years. Well, no, it took not even. It it took basically all four billion years. Like unicellular life progressed. <sighs> Very okay, quickly fine. after the formation of Four Earth. billion years. Fine. They've had twice as long as we have. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, okay. So the, the difference is four billion years ago, the conditions would have had to be different. Like we only exist now because we're not, we're not a first generation. We're not even a second generation. I don't think we're like a later generation. We're around a later generation star and planet. You need to have like the earliest stars only had hydrogen and helium. And then later stars were able to incorporate larger elements and make even bigger ones. Like the only reason we have things like iron and, I mean, obviously uranium, like the bigger elements is because we're recycled star material. We're not just – we're not early stars. And so 4 billion years ago, it's it's less likely that a star would have managed to gather those kinds of heavy elements around it when it's creating a, whatever solar system is is powering it. That's That's what I mean when I say it's less likely. I don't mean it's impossible. I mean – you have to recite. You have to go through several cycles of, like, star formation, star death, explosion possible. Uh, the supernova is what actually creates the heavier elements, and so it takes a lot of time to actually do that. But, anyways, that's that's beyond the point. This is, like it, it's really cool. Uh, I mean, it, in, it's actually insanely hot, but it's it's really cool from from our distance to be able to see this insanely bright thing from super far away and just like wonder at something that we have never we've never seen anything like this before we've seen supernovas but they're they're like tiny in comparison to this massive explosion just i love astronomy so it's it's the brightest supernova not necessarily the brightest object no or it's is the, the brightest? brightest object by far that we've ever seen okay i mean it's not like the object itself isn't bright it's it's bright right now and it's like it in the last couple months, it got really, really bright, and now it's starting to dim again. Like the the explosion's starting to fade away, but it like it seems. And again, we don't really know because we don't know what kind of timescales these things happen on. But it seems like this is like a very, very rare event for something to be so big. But it, it's possible that every hundred or two hundred or five hundred or thousand years, we see something like this, but we just don't know. Like it's just. It's outside of our scope of understanding so far because it's so rare to us. 
So the, the quote was, this is not precisely the largest supernova, but the most luminous yet seen. Yeah, the brightest one. So supernova, it doesn't say the brightest object. That may, it almost also be the brightest object, but it doesn't seem to be saying the brightest object. Supernovae tend to be like the brightest things. Right. No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying it's not that, but it doesn't right. explicitly say here. Maybe it's an implied thing. Yeah, like but. I say, go and watch Crash Course, Crash, Crash Course yeah, Astronomy. Because <laughs> he goes and talks about black holes. He goes and talks about magnetars, neutron stars, yeah. all this stuff that okay. is probably what's behind this. It would take something rotating really quickly to add a bunch of energy to it. It would take probably a very dense, something like a neutron star. Uh, yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff that contribute to it, but... At this point, all we can do is keep observing it and see what kind of information we can get out of it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so, yeah, go look at that. There's links to all the stuff. You guys have anything else you want to say? Anything you could add to an after show? Yeah. Um, I just have a quick note. doesn't have to be an after show. Okay. What, what gonna, do you got? Going to have a teaser for CRISPR. Go to This American Life, their website. A link for something only I can see, episode number 577. Mm -hmm. Look at the pictures of the two women there and know that CRISPR could be the difference. Okay. Should we do this now or should we? You can do it right now. Like I highly recommend it. it. I'll wait. (sighs) You'll wait. Yeah. The athlete. Entertain the listeners. The athlete was, uh, she's you know, the subject of a genetic mutation and has been accused of doping or steroid use, sorry, not doping steroid use for her entire career. Wow. And the other has muscular dystrophy. And those are just two switches, two letters (laughs) in the entire genome. Yeah. I mean, they don't actually know they haven't, did they sequence all of both their genomes and they're very, very similar in other ways too. Uh, they have the same genetic disease, right? But like the, I don't know the specific part that deals with muscle or something like that. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's one letter. Right. Crazy. I think that just goes to show that people are so different. Just baked into their code like even just going as simply as you know weight loss right people will try to lose weight or build muscle but it's sometimes they're just coded to be a certain way yeah you know what i mean like yeah well like that's it's that's evolution incarnate right there yeah like muscular muscular dystrophy that's a mutation that probably doesn't work as well but the other one oh like i mean evolutionarily it might be unfavorable because you require so much more food to maintain something like that, but you know, yeah, right. Sure, it's interesting, profound, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, in that case, thanks for listening to this week's future chat. We'll be back. Uh, actually, programming note: we will not be back next week. Uh, what we're going to do is take a few weeks off, little hiatus. We have a bunch of stuff going on uh, in the next few weeks, and so we'll be back probably later in February. Uh, with more science and tech talk and you can find past episodes of the show and plenty more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat and we'll see you next time Doodaloo. ciao
Can I just say how, Rob, you know how we were talking about how webcams haven't really yeah. increased in technology? They're terrible. Secu- security cameras are exactly the same way. Base model security cameras are still 0.3 megapixel VGA <laughs> resolution. Not even joking. Well, the goal and of then, that is to get something. Right. Because t- storing but, HD video for 24 hours a day is insanely right. expensive. But even like motion detection when it turns on only motion yeah. detection. Oh, I, I agree with you. And then your seven, what they call 720p is one megapixel. Yeah. Seven HD resolution, like yeah. 16, 19 or whatever. And then 1080 is three megapixel. Yeah. So, but they're taking advantage of the 720p connotation. Like, wow, that's HD. Wow. But it's only like one megapixel. Right. Yeah. Because video takes less bandwidth than like, you're not trying to store this massive image. It doesn't take many megapixels to do 1080. It's the fact that it's 24 frames a second. That's the hard part. Um, when I go and look like in my Google photos at videos, even my, like the iPhone is like 0.7 megapixels on the front camera what for video like it's not very oh for video yeah is that what it is that do oh it's it's weird but yeah is it because it's video and not still images that makes that much of a difference it's just the fact that you only need 1080 like if you only needed 1080 if you only took 1080 by 1920 photos they wouldn't be very big either like eight megapixels gets you like 3000 by 4000 right yeah right quite weird i need to get over this cold 